Our readings this morning are Old Testament readings from 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you have your Bibles with me, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me and read along 2 Samuel chapter 9 verses 1 through 8. And then we'll turn over to Romans and we'll be preaching uh, Romans 12 through 15. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and he called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, Is there still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There's still the son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to him, said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought for him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel of Lodabar, and Meshibetheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face, paid homage to David, and David said, Meshibetheth. And he answered, and he said, behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you to the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage to him and he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for such a dog, for such a dead dog, for show show regard for a dead dog such as I? I'll take to Romans chapter 1. Keep that in mind as we're going through the message today. In Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 15. Paul says, and remember, this is all about our assurance in Jesus Christ. As, As Christians, we need to be assured that we cannot lose our salvation. And that's what's being taught here. We have that assurance. I know sometimes we doubt. I know sometimes you struggle. But that's why things like this are written. They're written for us to make sure that we know if we're trusting in Jesus Christ that we cannot be lost because he keeps us. All Chapter 8, that's what it's all about. It's about that wonderful assurance that we have in Christ. It's not about us maintaining, hoping, wishing, you know, oh, can I lose this? No, it's about understanding that what he has done for us can't be undone by us. So keep that in mind as we go through this message this morning. Paul says, so brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh because we have that assurance, because we're Christians. We don't live for sin anymore like we used to, but we live to Christ. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Um, as we get into it, we're going to be talking about a doctrine this morning. It's a doctrine of adoption. It's a big deal. We we actually talk about this 
every day, all the time, we talk about who we are in Christ, the family of Christ, how we belong to each other. So that's, that's actually a doctrine that we're speaking to, and it's called adoption into the family of God. Now, we love the, the doctrine of justification. We talk about sanctification. Adoption is kind of one that slips away, but I want you, after today, to be especially mindful of what it means to be a child of the living God and, and, and the implications of that, not just for you personally, amen, that's good, but for all of us together as Christians, as those called out of darkness into light, those who God has called from every place in the world and brought us together. What a ragtag bunch we are, but we're his ragtag bunch, amen? Praise God, I love it, and I love him, and I love Christ. So we think about this whole idea of adoption. It is a beautiful picture of God's love for his people and his care for his people and the security and the hope that we have as his people. So make sure you take that home with you this afternoon and be thinking on this. May God even transform our, our lives through this, you know, to, to think deeply about who we are in Christ. So when it comes to like worldly adoption, uh, when families adopt a child, at its best, at its very best, and you know this, adoption is a loving, caring, and a very gracious act. Often it's very selfless. You know, most families that adopt already have children. Some people that don't have children obviously adopt, so it's, you know, it's mutual in that way. But for the most part, it, it, and at its best, it's loving, caring, and gracious. You're bringing a child who otherwise, most likely, would have extreme difficulty in life and throughout that child's life, throughout that person's life, you're bringing them into your family. You're bringing them into your family and you're binding yourself to them. They are part of your family, which means they have full rights. They have full rights. The same love, the same protection, the same care as any biological child would have as well, right? There's great comfort in that, especially for the 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 child that's adopted, brought into that family, that yes, you are truly loved. You're truly part of this family, and there is no partiality. I'm not going to love my natural kid more than I love you because we are one in family and in Christ Jesus. And those parents that have adopted children, you know this. Amen and praise God. It's a beautiful picture of the biblical idea of adoption. One of the greatest benefits, man, one of the greatest benefits we have in our union with Christ, that is being a Christian, one of the greatest benefits is our salvation is the fact that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we belong to Him, that we are His children, that we have been adopted into His family. And it's a perfect adoption. <clears throat> Even human adoptions, there's always flaws, but not with the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, there is this paragraph on adoption. This is the doctrine, the teaching that you need to get into your heart. <clears throat> All of those that are justified, God conferred in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption. It's a grace by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and the privileges of the children of God have his name put on them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, 
but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit in the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. That's a beautiful definition of adoption. And we have the 1689 confession on the table, so feel free to take one of those home. But it explains what the Bible teaches about this idea, about this doctrine of adoption. Verse 4, listen to what he says. Uh, well, Paul is concluding, actually, what he was saying in the previous section, what we talked about last week, contrasting the, the spirit and the flesh. You know, if we walk by the flesh, we're not going to be with the Lord, but by the spirit, we're filled with him and living form. That was last week's message. But he's continuing and coming to a conclusion of that idea. And he says in verse 14, and here's what the teaching, this is why we say we're adopted into the family of God. This is why it's a doctrine, because it's here in Scripture, because we're taught here and in other places, by implication and directly. This is one of those direct passages, verses 14 and 15. And he says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There it is. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There, there it is, implied or told pretty plainly, you're sons of God in Jesus Christ. You are adopted into his family. That's the explicit teaching. It's very plain, and it comes through. So he says, we are sons of God. When you read that, that is familial. That is family language, right? You are sons and, by implication, daughters of God. I am going to digress for just a minute here um, and talk about this. Just because of the times we're living in, the days we're living in, we talk about the sons of God. Well, there's a whole group of called progressive Christians. They don't really hold to scriptures. They're more liberal, and they don't really like what the Bible says. And uh, the feminists in the church and say, you know, there it is. You talk about sons of God. That's misogynistic right there. That's It's all about men, and it's that. Listen, 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 listen. No, that's not true. In Jesus Christ, there is perfect and full equality of dignity honor and regard for persons that's what's that's what paul that's the point of what paul's talking about galatians 3 28 or a major factor of that this is the truth there's neither jew nor greek there's neither slave nor free there's neither male nor female for you're all one in jesus christ and that's the idea of this that there's full equality in jesus christ it's not because you're a woman you're less than or you're this and you're less, no, 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 in Christ we are one. As a matter of fact, we see through the, the prominence of women in, in the New Testament and, and how Jesus treated them and, and their ministry to the Lord, just that high regard. So I am, this is a digression right now, but I want to make sure just because the day and age we're living in, when you talk to people and say, well, that's misogynistic, it's all about men, and that doesn't, no, it's not, it's beautiful, it's for all those who love Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one who spoke to the woman at the well, right? A woman like that, nobody would talk to her. No self-respecting man would talk to a woman alone, let alone a woman like that who had five husbands and the man she was with now wasn't her husband at all. But it was Jesus who went through Samaria who spoke to that woman one-on-one to bring grace and mercy. You understand? It was the women who ministered to Christ and the apostles. I'm going to just read from, you don't have to turn, just a few passages in Luke uh, chapter 8. Listen to this. Women who ministered to Christ and the apostles as well. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. And the twelve were with him, so the apostles were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, 
from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Cherza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their own means. So it was the women, in large part, who were ministering, who were going along and tending to the needs of their Savior, Jesus Christ. It was the women who mostly followed Christ to Calvary. You know, many of the men took off. They scattered. You know, we know John was there, but for the most, it was the women who were brave enough. You know, it's the dudes who take off, but it's the women who say, you know what? I am with him and I'm staying with him. And there's that, just that sense of loyalty and love where a, a woman and a mom or a mother or a wife is not, I'm not leaving. You could go, but I'm staying, right? So in, in, in Matthew 27, 55 and 56, there were also many women there, many looking from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So the women were there, women who followed him. And it was the first one to discover the empty tomb were the women. So Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the other Mary went to see the tomb. It was the women, the prominence of women. So don't be fooled when people try to say it's misogynistic. Bible is this, Bible is that. It's just for men. It's just a construct. It's, no, it is the glory of God before us. It was Priscilla, along with her husband Aquila, who taught Apollos how to better understand the scriptures. It was Lydia who brought them into their household and she was converted. It's Chloe who they met in her house. Paul's personal greetings after he's uh, even at the end of Romans, the first person he mentions is a woman. Her name's Phoebe, a servant of the Lord. And it goes on and on and on. So no, that word sons, when he says you become sons of God, captures really the privilege of, belong, of a son, of the firstborn son belonging to the father. Now that firstborn son would be given the inheritance. It didn't exclude or exclude the women altogether, but it was given to the firstborn son because it's a matter of headship, because it goes all the way back to creation. So even pagan nations understood that implicitly, and so it went back to the one who was created first in that way. So it's a matter of order and structure, and and it's not just this uh, not, not not having dignity. Like like even with a the monarchy, if if the firstborn son died and we see this obviously within England it, it the daughter would be the queen obviously in that way so it's more of a matter of that headship and the son would be given that money not just to greedily have it for the most part unless they were snakes but they were to they were to share the, the inheritance with the rest of the family so there's a digression we become sons and daughters of God, of course, because women are saved too. Amen. Praise God. I hope it settles it in your mind. <laughs> so verse 15, he says this. He goes on to say, we're sons of God. For you, Christian, you, once you're saved, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's a big deal. This is... This is where so many professing Christians or even genuine Christians struggle at times and they go back into this idea, in Christ there's freedom, man. He has set us free from our sins, past, present, and future. You don't have to live in the guilt of that sin. Okay, there might be consequences, of course, because of certain sins. It, it happens, that's part of it. But the guilt has been taken away from Christ on the cross. And when we don't live in that freedom, we're saying implicitly that, Christ, you didn't do enough for me. Not good enough. So you must not live in the guilt of the sin of the past that was committed by you because Jesus Christ paid for that. Amen? And now we're part of his family. 
He says, you did not receive the spirit when you became a believer. You didn't receive the spirit of of slavery, which is filled with fear. And there's that contrast once again. Remember last week, the flesh and the spirit. Now he's doing slavery and free person. The person is adopted into the family. And that means you, if you love Jesus Christ. You're not under that slave. You know what what he's talking about, the slavery here? The and I know people say, oh, slavery back then was different. It was, and it was. It wasn't like the chattel slavery of, you know, here in, in, the, in the States and in England. Yes, and no, a slave is still a slave, man. And it's always tough, no matter the circumstances. And there's certain characteristics about being a slave that are always going to be difficult, right? doesn't matter, like, oh, to what degree and so on and so forth. Listen, you were a slave. Even back then, you had no standing whatsoever with the family. You just didn't. You, you had no standing with the master in that house. You were just a slave. You didn't, there were no equality of persons. No, you, you were that, you belonged to that, to that person. And you were used in that way. So you had no standing there. You had no stake in the inheritance. If that master of the house died, it wasn't like most of the time, you know, generally speaking, it wasn't the slave that got the inheritance. It was a family member or somebody else. A slave, you wouldn't even think to give it to the slave. You're not going to do that. So you had no inheritance at all. And that's, think of this. Transfer this spiritually in your mind as well because we're getting back to that. They were not treated, not even as good as guests in a home. So you would have a guest to come into your home. The slave was way below the guest. The guest would have a place at the table, so on and so forth. The slaves would just be serving them in that way. So they were, they were as low as you could be socially and in that way. They had no inherent benefits of the family. You know, they, they couldn't sit down to dinner and say, oh, it's dinner time. I'm going to sit down with the master and his family at the table. Like, oh, yeah, right. Like, that's going to happen. That, you know, there's nothing like that. There was, they, they're not going to have casual time of conversation and sit around the fire and talk about things with the slaves in that way. The slaves had no part of that. They weren't going to go play, you know, catch in the, in the yard with the kids, that, you know, unless they were training or, or teaching them in that way. But it was not for strict recreation and fun in that way. There's no access to the head, to the, to, to, the head of the, to the head of the family or even to members of the family. You couldn't just walk into the master's office or into the master's bedroom and say, hey, I want to talk with you, sir. That wasn't going to happen. Understand? Paul says, don't go back in that spirit of slavery. When you're a slave to sin, you are estranged from God. You're, you're straight. You have no standing with him. You're only under judgment in that way. Paul says, that's not who you are in Jesus Christ, man. You're not that slave. Don't act like that slave. Don't be like that. And then he goes and he says, let's check this out. He says, don't fall back into fear. I'm sorry. He says, for you do not really... You have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So he says, don't, don't fall back into that fear. And they always go together, slavery and fear. And you know this with unbelievers as well. They're always kind of slaves to their sin, and they're always afraid. And, and even those who, who are seeking to kind of please God, they're, they're always living in fear. Most slaves, if not all slaves, feared their master to one degree or another. Even the slaves that were favored by the master, they still feared them. Why? Because the master held their fate in his hands. So one wrong move, one wrong word, one misstep, one mistake could cost you dearly. And sometimes, even if you did everything all right, just depended sometimes on the whim of the master, it could cost you. So you know what the slave did? Work hard, try to earn some sort of favor, 
or at the very least, stay out of trouble. That was it. That's how, that's how they lived. Now listen to me. Outside of a true and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, there is fear, man. There is fear. It's the idea of not knowing if you've been accepted by him. And I'm talking about religious people or people that are trying to earn God's favor. You don't know if you're accepted. So you just try to work and hope. You just try and do and hope. You're never going to know if you've done enough, if it's good enough, if it's well enough, and if you've done it long enough. There is no assurance of salvation in any way. I've seen apologists speak to Muslims, and when they get down to the nitty-gritty with Muslims, they do not have assurance. They'll talk about Allah, and they'll talk about doing, but when it comes down to how do you know, they don't know. They don't know. It's just, well, I'm hoping to be the best Muslim that I could be and serve Allah in the best way that I can and hope and pray that he accepts me. There's nothing there. There's no assurance. There's no adoption. That's why this doctrine is so important. What he says here, that's why you need to get it, man, and have it in your heart because that's what we hang on to when we doubt and we don't know. If we're trusting in Christ, we can know. Some of you I know talk to Jehovah's Witness. I have relatives that are Jehovah's Witness. They have no assurance whatsoever. It's all work. It's just hoping, hoping that it's good enough. And it's such a, it's such a, uncertain life, not knowing if you're truly loved or if that love's going to be taken away. It's like in a family with whacked out parents, right, that, that are not stable. And you don't know if one day your daddy's going to hug you, he's going to slap you across the face. You don't know one day if mommy's going to be there or she's going to be out partying. You don't know. That, that's what that's like. You don't know. You don't know. So you try to please them. You try to please them. But you just don't know if you have their love. That's what this is like. Even people that are professing Christians who are trapped in legalistic version of Christianity. And I know this from experience. I pastored a church that was like this almost, that so many didn't have like a reverent fear for God. Like, you know, we have a reverent fear. You fear the Lord reverently and all. We love his majesty, his glory. Who are we? Like Meshibbeth, you know, we're just bowing down today. Who am I? You know, a worm like me that you would love me, man. That's that reverent fear. But the legalists have a fearful fear of God, right? And some of those denominations where it's just like, here's what you must do. Here's what you need to keep on doing or God's going to take his love away from you. No, it's a fearful fear. Now, they would never say it, but you could see it in their lives. They would attend church diligently. They would attend activities. They wouldn't miss a Wednesday night. They wouldn't miss. It wouldn't matter if a tornado was coming in. They would still go because they had to go so God would be pleased with them and that he wouldn't be displeased with them. That's that's the idea. Uh, attending the church is the activity so that they say that they did. Well, I made it. I came. Who cares if nobody else came? And if I make it, you should make it too, right? That's kind of the idea. Afraid that they would lose God's approval if they didn't. Keeping the rules hoping God is watching and God sees that, but there's never you're never really sure. It's a bad place to be. It's a terrible place to be. And it's not what we're called to be as Christians. That's what Paul's saying here. We're not to be in that place. I had people that could quote the shorter catechism on adoption and do it beautifully because that's a performance, because you have it. I have it down. I know, I know the question and I know the answer. Aren't you proud of me, God? But don't have the essence in their heart and they're so still so insecure and still so not knowing, not sure if God really loves them. 
the good news, and the good news here is that what we received in Christ Jesus is just the opposite of slavery and fear. And fear, that's Paul's point here. He says, you haven't done that. He says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And we're going to end there. That's going to be our portion for this week. We'll finish up next week with the, re- the next two verses. But the idea, unlike the slave, you have been adopted into the family of God, and you have all the rights, all the privileges that come along with that. Now, we're going to talk about that next week, and we're going to talk about three things specifically. So that's next week's sermon. But know this, if you're in Jesus Christ, you're not a slave, you're a son or a daughter. It's not a master-servant relationship, it's a father-son and daughter relationship. You're not estranged anymore from God, it's an intimate relationship with him. And nothing brings out the character of that relationship more than that term of endearment, Abba, Father. That is such a cool term, and I know you've all heard this before, or most of you anyway. He says, we could come and say, Abba, Father, and you see it's emphasized, it's emphatic there. It's an exclamation that he says, it's not nice and quiet. It's not, hey, dad, or, you know, hi, father, I'm glad, glad you're home. It's not quietly. It's crying out, Abba, father, you know, dad, you're, you're here. It's, it's like, here's the idea. It's, it's, it's like a father who's working all day long and he's busting his chops and he comes home and, and there's his four year old daughter playing with her toys and, and that door opens up. And the daughter sees her daddy coming through the door. And what's she do? She drops her toys. Yes! And Doreen's got it. Daddy! And she runs to him with open arms. Daddy's home. Mommy, daddy's here. That's, that's the, that, listen, it's not childish. I don't want us to, don't get that idea of like, oh, this is child. Like, you know, just like little kids that don't really understand. It's not a childish thing, but it is childlike. And that's a beautiful thing because that child, like Jesus said, let the children come unto me. Only those who have a childlike spirit will enter the kingdom of God. It's different than being childish and silly. Childlike is, there's that intimacy. There's that personable aspect to it, an accessibility without fear that you're safe and secure. This is my dad. And so when she's running to her dad, his da- that her daddy has his arms wide open and he's going to scoop her up and he's going to give her a big hug. That's the idea when you say Abba, Father. That's adoption. That's the spirit that we have and that doesn't go away. That's the intimacy of this beautiful teaching that we have. And we talk about it all the time. You're going to see that in a moment. But this is what it is. And it involves the Trinity. It is Trinitarian. It involves the Godhead. Our adoption involves the Godhead. So Ephesians 1.4, we're not going to elaborate on this too much, but I just want you to see it. Here's the Father. The Father chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be blameless before him. Our sins are forgiven. He's never going to bring him up and say, ah, remember what you did. We're, we're, we're saved, we're forgiven, that we should be blameless before him in love. He predestined us for what? Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That is the Father saying, I love you and you and you so much that I'm going to send my son and bring you to myself and you're going to be part of my family, my family. Everlasting. When we love the whole idea, we could do a whole sermon on family and what is a family and how people need family. So they'll find it in gangs. They'll find it in people they hang out with, you know, if they don't have a strong family unit and so on and so forth. But that's for another time. Nevertheless, John one twelve. it's the Father through the Son 
All who received him. Who's him? That's Jesus Christ. Everyone who receives Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. There's that familial teaching. That we are the children of God. You understand that? That we belong to him. The Father chose through the, whole, through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have that here and also in, in Galatians 4, 5, and 7. Christ came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might be received might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's by the spirit who applies that salvation that we are brought into the family and we're able to cry out to the Lord. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see how the Trinitarian that is? This teaching, this doctrine is of God. So theologically, you know that. Soteriology, soteri- I'm going to lose that word. Thank you. In our soteriology, we know that we're saved. That's a doctrine of salvation. That's a big fancy way of trying to say it. I just messed up. Um, the objective truth, it speaks to the objective truth of our position with Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, how he sees us, how he views us, that we do belong to him. That is his view of you. If you trust and love Jesus Christ, he's the one who's never going to leave or forsake you. You will be let down in this world, no matter how close relations you have. You're going to get into places that you can't get out of, and people are going to let you down. He will never let you go and never let you down. We belong to him. That is our standing with God. What a privilege that is. Amen? Okay. Now I want to do here is talk about the implications. You're not saved in some sterile, mechanical way from a distant God. You know what I mean? Oh, again, I hope God loves me. I hope God saves me. I just know, oh, you know, this, that. Here's what I have to do. And here's what I have to keep on doing so he loves me. No. When he loves us, we want to do for him. We want to live for him in the way he calls us to. It's deeply relational. It's intimate. It's in line with the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go out and make disciples of all nations. And that means, bottom line, that means to go out to every nation preaching the gospel so that God's elect in every nation will hear and will come to him. That goes back to Galatians 3. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian, Scythian, you're all one in Jesus Christ. And that's the hope. That's what brings us to him. He's elect from every nation. This is why we call each other brother or sister. You know that? Because we're adopted into the family. This is the the doctrine of adoption. That's why we say, you're my brother, you're my sister. Because that's true. And you need to be careful, by the way, how you use that. Because we have a tendency to just go around calling everybody brother and sister, you know. Even in like an ethnic way, hey, brother. Like for the Italians, it's Baezan, you know. Like you're kind of a brother. Be careful about that. You have your biological brothers and sisters. And then you have your spiritual brothers and sisters. So if you're a Christian and you're at the coffee shop, don't go telling the, you know, oh, thanks, brother, to, to, the, to the person that's serving the coffee to you. You don't do that. that that's a do- this is a serious doctrine of adoption. That's a privilege to call each other brother and sister in Christ. Don't take that lightly because we have been adopted into the family of God, and that's a precious, precious thing. You understand? Not everybody's our brother and sisters. Oh, we're all made in the image of God. But it's those who are redeemed in Jesus Christ from every part of the world, from wherever they come in, that binds us together. That's the language of adoption. And that's why we're brought into the family. So we say brother and sister in Christ. And what are the implications? And this is what I want you to get as we come to the end. And this is so vital. As the family of God, and here's the essence of this doctrine played out. We talked about the theological aspects of it. 
But here are the practical implications of it. And it's so vital to get this. To cultivate the relationship, to live as a loving family because that's what we are in Jesus Christ. If you've been loved by Christ, if you've been saved by Christ, you're no longer your own, you've been brought into his family, and you're expected to live as a member in his own family. Do you understand that? That's, a, that's, that's the adoption. That's the, this doctrine. That's this teaching. This is why we say things like, we need to deal graciously with each other as Christians. We need to have the best interest of the other person in mind, just like you would for a brother or a sister. You and a loving family. I really have to emphasize that because in too many families today, it's not the case. But in a truly loving, caring family, you are going to want the best for your brother or for your sister, for your sibling in that way. You're going to want their best interest in mind. It's not going to be selfish, and it's not going to, you're not going to deal harshly with them in a truly loving family. That's what we need to be like here as Christians. We need to be able to care enough to confront, to warn, to admonish, and hold accountable. That's part of our adoption into the family of God. If you have a brother or sister that's in deep stuff, as a loving brother or sister, what are you going to do? Just go along with them, placate them, let them go their own way, and just kind of not rock the boat? No, if you love them as a brother or sister, you are going to say something to them. Man, you are ruining your life by making the decision. What do you think that you're doing? How could you be taking those drugs? Where are you going? We're going to do that to a brother or sister that we really love. And we need to have that kind. That's adoption. That's being part of the family of God. We need to have that comfort level with each other to be able to say, look, I've noticed that you're going off. Or look, you can't be doing this. I love you as a brother in Christ. But far too often we don't do that. Either we don't care enough about our brothers and sisters in Christ, or we don't want to offend our brothers and sisters in Christ because of, you know, oh, who are you to say that? Who am I to say that? I'm your brother in Jesus Christ. That's who I am to say that, and I love you. And you're my sister in Christ. We take this way too lightly, man. And we don't, we don't understand the depth of what it means to be adopted, to belong to Jesus Christ. And that access that it gives us, not only to the Father, but to each other as well. Right? Don't be jealous or envious. If, you have a, if you're in a loving family and you love your siblings, you're going to be so happy when that brother or sister succeeds in what they're going to do. If they become an athlete or they become prominent in some way, you're going to love that. You're going to be happy for them in a loving family. You're not going to be jealous. You're not going to, you know, be spiteful, but you're going to be grateful and supportive. At least I hope you would be of a brother and sister in Christ. But in the church, so often, man, we're like jealous and we're envious and we're, you know, oh, I can't sing as good as she can and I don't know who is that. And we all get all uptight. I have people talking to me saying, oh, Pastor Joe, you got Aaron and Luke. Look at these guys. What God's doing to, with them and how he's using them and, you know, just their preaching and their teaching. And, you know, Luke has a book that's published. Aaron is speaking at all these seminars. And, you know, here, what about you? Me? I'm, yes, praise God. I'm not going to be like Saul, you know, with David. If God's pleased to use it, let's raise them up. There's no jealousy. There's no holding on to anything. Man, if God's using you, that's all we need to be with each other. If you got it, you got it. If he's given to you, you've given to you. No use being envious, jealous, you know, bitter in some way, protective of this. Oh, but I'm, listen, man, God's going to do what he's going to do and use us the way he's going to use us. And we need to be happy when you see somebody more gifted than you in some area and not envious. Come on. That's adoption. That's this doctrine, right? To act with integrity, with respect, with honesty and love toward each other. 
Don't tear each other down. Don't gossip. You're not going to sit there and talk bad and talk dirty on your own family member in a loving family. You notice I keep qualifying it because I have to. Um, but that's what you're going to do. And you're going to stop that. Hey, don't say that about that person. Don't go there. You know, I'm not, not going to unduly criticize you. And that's another way sometimes uh, when Christians are working together and, and a male and a female are working in a, on a project together and they can get close and not close. If you think of each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, that goes a long way to stopping those kinds of things from happening in a relationship in that way. And that's who we are. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This is adoption. This is the doctrine. You know this, but now you know that this is what it means. This is the depth to it. Far too many Christians are willing to have a casual surface relationship with each other. We're basically strangers, even though we have this amazing connection in Christ Jesus. It doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't make sense that we have been bought with a price, that we have been transferred into his kingdom, that we love him, all of us together, those who've been in Christ Jesus, and yet we can treat each other as almost strangers. That's not cool. That's not right. That's not who we are in Jesus Christ. We share this amazing connection to each other and to Jesus Christ, and yet far too often we act like we don't even know each other. Some are unwilling to give themselves, to give their time, their talents, their gifts, their resources for church members or other Christians, but they'll do anything to help their family. Well, that's my kid, okay? That's my, well, that's my family. And it's almost like, okay, church here, this is my family here. Now look, look, man, I'm not saying scoot the other family and just be the church family. But it's got to be both. We are adopted in the family of Christ. And sometimes it's going to be your biological family. Other times it's going to be your church family, depending on the situation. Sometimes you're going to have to say no to that, to that biological member because it doesn't comport with Scripture. You understand what I'm saying? And yes, to the Christians. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45 all who believed were together and had all things in common. And this was voluntary. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to any, to any who had need. That's the spirit of adoption. All this flows from the doctrine of adoption, that we belong to Jesus Christ. And so as a brother or sister, I'm going to do everything I can to help you out. You need money? I'm going to give you money. You need a place? I'm going to give you a place. I'm not going to just do it for my, oh, well, this is my kid, you know, and the church family's over here. Again, we want to do both. You have to have that, that balance. But it's just not like, you know, when it comes to things like that, we're almost like strangers. We should count on each other, man. We're in Christ. We've been adopted into his family. It's real important that we make allowances for each other, that we're charitable, that we're mindful, that we're patient, knowing that just like in a family, you have different personalities. I know I can't stand my sister because she's like this. My brother's like that but we make allowances for them because we love them because they're our family. That's what we do in the church as well. We ought to do that. No partiality. Get out of your comfort zone, man, because we have the same salvation. Right? This is what we need to do. This is the doctrine of adoption, adopted in the family, what it means to be a family member. You're very cheerful. You're very patient with some of your siblings because you know what they're like. Oh, that's just Jimmy. Oh, that's how, you know, Julie's always been that way, right? Right? And we, we make a lot. But in the church, how dare you do that? How, how, how can you act that way? Oh, you're just so strange. Oh, you're so different. Listen, man. Adoption. We're, we're, we're in this together. Real, real charitable spirit. Real patient. We're all quirky in different ways, right? 
Well, no, it takes a lot to put up with me, man. It takes a lot to put up with you, too, but that's what we do. Amen? Love all Christians. You love all. Every truly converted Christian, you are to love. I don't care if they're Arminian and they believe you can lose your salvation. Okay. I don't care if they're Reformed and believe that you can't lose your salvation. Okay. I don't care if you're premillennial, post-mill, on-mill. I don't care if you're Presbyterian or Baptist. If you're a cessationist or a continuationist, whatever. If you're a true Christian, then we owe each other that love, that honor, and that respect. Because we're the same family. There's not going to be an amillennialist or a premillennialist in heaven. We're going to be Christians in heaven, right? The Presbyterians aren't going to be greater than the Baptists in heaven. They think they are on earth, but that's a joke <laughs> for my Presbyterian friends, uh, right? Okay. Strive to maintain unity with all humility, for we all belong to Jesus Christ. See, this is the doctrine of adoption. This is what it is. And this is what we're called to as Christians. That's why he says, we cry, Abba, Father. We have that spirit of adoption. I cry, Abba, Father. I love you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. Please, and so do you. We have that same cry. When Christ comes into our life, you never end your prayer by saying, oh, I hate you, God. I love you, Lord. We all do that because we belong to him. It's all about adoption. It's God's family. John, just a few passages, kind of shotgun passages, and we'll be done. Jesus says this to the Christians. He says it to his apostles, but it applies to all of us. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. You're always to love each other, but how are we to love each other? Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. Why? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If we go around hating on each other, criticizing, constantly doing this, it doesn't mean we don't have problems. We deal with it biblically, amen, but we don't do it in this way, in a self-righteous way, in a hurtful way. And we need to really strive to, to demonstrate that love of Christ and us. The way he loves you is the way you should love me. And the way he loves me is the way I should love you. Just think about that. And then uh, Romans 12.10 Love one another with brotherly affection. That's philios, a deep, deep familial family, a brotherly kind of love. Outdo one another in showing honor, right? We're always wanting honor. Well, you should do this for me because I'm a Christian, or you should treat me this way. We shouldn't even think like that. It should be thinking, what can I do for you? How can I serve you better? How can I love you better? Without complaining, without giving the list of, you know, this is why I do and this is how I do. Just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to outdo honoring you. Right? Even if you don't do it to me, it's not reciprocal necessarily. I don't expect anything in return. If you're a Christian and you say, well, here's what I've done for you and I expect this in return, bah, right away you're in trouble. You're off track. That's not biblical. It's just, I'm just going to keep doing it for you, even if you don't do it for me, because that's what I'm called to do, to show that love and honor. It doesn't matter if you don't love me. It doesn't matter if you don't honor me. I'm still going to love you. Right? That's hard to do. That's real easy to say. First um, Thessalonians 3.12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So we, we are to, it's not something that stagnates. It's something that grows. It continues to move on. I'm going to love you deeper every day. I'm not going to get tired of you. I'm not going to get sick of you. I'm not going to, you know, that's it. As, as we strive together in Christ. Again, this is real Christians we're talking about here. We're not talking about false professors of faith or people that are outside. the. We're talking about people that are in Christ Jesus. And then um, Ephesians 4, 
32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ has forgiven you. So um, I, I, I do have one more. <laughs> I, I could, we can go on and on and on <laughs> with this doctrine of adoption and belief. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider, think about how to stir up one another to love and good works. How can I encourage you? How can I uh, come alongside you and, and help you grow in your faith, help you grow in your love? These are the things. This is what adoption is, man, that we are in it together. If you're hurting, I'm hurting. If you're, if you're in joyful, I'm joyful in, in the right way. If you're in trouble, we're going to do all we can to help you out. And we're going to fail at this because we're not perfect. And that's why we need patience with each other as well. There's so many things that we as elders want to do that we're not doing, that we hope to be able to do more of to show you that kind of love and care. And, and by God's grace, we're getting there, but it's, you know, things happen. So, so there's always the, that, that patience and that understanding. But it's this kind of love that we want to work towards. When we do this, when you understand the doctrine of adoption, and that's what we're talking about this morning. I know you've all heard this kind of stuff before, but did you really tie it together with your adoption into the family of God? That's the solidifying fact and factor. It's not just doesn't come willy-nilly. Oh, we're part of this. Because you've been adopted into the family of Christ. Because he's shed his blood for you. He's paid the price for you. He's bought you. He's forgiven your sins. He's, he's put his name on you. For all of us together, that's what he's done. He's brought us into this family. He's put us together. And he expects us to obey him. He expects these things from us. This isn't optional. And when you don't do these things, you need to really look to the Lord and seek that forgiveness and, and really that charge to say, you know what? I am going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to be that person I'm called to be. I'm a brother and sister of this person, Jesus Christ. Again, not optional, man. You don't have to do it. But there's going to be repercussions when we don't. And there's going to be benefits when we do. Right? We're going to be strong. We're going to come alongside each other. We're going to stand together on the gospel, knowing that we're not alone, willing to do what we need to do to stand firm. That's why in, in the coming weeks, we're going to take a little break from Romans. We're going to be preaching about everything that's going on in this world, especially with the kind of the, the, the waywardness and the transgender. We're getting into June, and everything in June is surrounded in, in this way by these kinds of things. So we want to address that even from the pulpit so we could stand together with one voice because it is hard and it's going to get harder for us to live as Christians in a world that just hates Jesus Christ and has turned everything upside down and everything's chaotic. Even people that aren't Christians kind of see like what is happening here? How far can we go? Believe me, we can go a lot farther and we're heading down that, down that, uh, down that road. So we, it begins with us to say, no, here's the standard. Here's God's word. This far and no further. No compromise. And that's hard to do. And we need each other in that. You can't be by yourself. Just like in a family, you can't do it alone. Those people that are estranged from the family have such a hard time living the life. We need each other. You can't be a Christian by yourself. Satan will gobble you up. You won't be effective in any way. Knowing that we can count on each other because all of us belong to Christ. We are truly sons and daughter, daughters of the Most High God.